Spencer Scott Holmes here. Welcome to the show. I'm bringing it back in action. You know, there's been a little bit of a you know delay from episode to episode, but um, hopefully got all kinds of new interviews and fun times to be coming up. Been meeting people at Comic-Cons, other creators and whatnot. So get them on here, do more interviews, get that inspiration flowing, you know, whether they be comic book writers artists, you know, even other multimedias, film stuff, video games, it doesn't matter. It all comes full circle together. I feel like get all that fun going, all those good times coming together, full swing. I think it's going to be some cool stuff. You know, Pizza Boys update. I'm getting very close, very close to Pizza Boys 14 coming out, Ninjutsu Sunrise series part two. You know, I've got maybe all of five more pages left to ink. Plus the cover. That also might be the fifth page. I can't remember exactly. Then the edits, checks, you know, go over it a half dozen plus, no more than that. Go over it about, you know, 16 dozen times and make sure everything's good. And, you know, you'll still find something at the end of the day, two years later. But getting that going there. So Pizza Boy's coming out very soon. And then today on the show, we got Blaze Hoa Great guy. Met him over at the Impound Comics Comic Con and... We, we were just having such a good conversation as is. He was in the film, high-spirited, all kinds of good stuff there. I was just like, well, we should just do a podcast together. That's the way to go. So got him on the show. He's got his comic book, One Son. Got it right here. One Son. Now, this is just technically the the beginning. He hasn't even had the first issue done yet, but he's got the kind of the art lined out, the story in there. It's kind of an intro advertisement, getting people excited about it. It's a Hawaiian superhero themed adventure. It looks like really cool stuff. Good artwork, fun times, something slightly different to have too, you know. So I think it's going to be a pretty cool adventure once it's all said and done, but he's getting it going there. It's coming together, you know. So we're going to pass the good word on of indie comics and enjoy that fun time. So let's jump on into the show. What do you say? Hello, I'm Spencer Scott Holmes, and welcome to the show. And today I got super special guest, Blaze Hoamakoa. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing awesome, and I'm doing even better now because you actually like nailed the name. A lot of people stumble on that, or they, uh, you know, they give me the look, and I have to fill in for them. But no, nah, you you did amazing, man. Oh, that's good because like, I kind of I kind of practiced it beforehand because I was like I'm like I, I gotta make sure I get that last name right because you know I'm notorious for sometimes like you know when reading like other scripts and so on be like hmm, i wonder how you pronounce that name ah who knows you know sometimes it comes across like that i totally get it you know what i mean like especially there's a lot of times there's some things too if you never like hear it like you only read it like a lot of times that can right. be a little bit of a complicated one too you know but uh i've even seen some names where as soon as you start to read it, it makes more sense than when you're looking at it. But like once you're sounding it out, you're like, oh, it's Melissa. Like, <laughs> I didn't know that you could spell it that way, but okay. <laughs> well, but no, I, I find a lot of people hesitate on the, um, it's in English, I think it's apostrophe. In Hawaiian, we call it an okina, but mm -hmm. a lot of people hate on it. I just tell them full gl glottal stop. Just pretend like it's two different syllables, but yeah, you nailed it. And we can be done with the bit. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome. Yeah, we met over at the Impound Comics, Comic First Comic Con a couple weeks ago in Sacramento, That's California. Right. And uh, just got to talking about all kinds of making comics and so on. I was like, well, Blaze is such a fun guy. I want to get him on the show so we can talk even more <laughs> about comic books, making projects. And, of course, he's also into making movies as well. 
you know, which is always one of my all-time favorite classic things. Right. So I'm sure, have you talked about the filmmaking side of your career a lot on this show or not much, uh, more, more comic not, books? You, not in recent times. On like the older podcast, because it goes back like 10 years, you know, that uh, we probably talked more about sure. movie making as time kind of went on, you know, throughout there and so on like that. And it's, well, I don't know. I, take, I just take that back. The last episode I did, uh, Griffin Sims, he's, he was in the independent filmmaking too. So we just talked a bunch on there. So I'm like, wait a second. No, 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 no. <laughs> I guess it wasn't that long ago. Wait, wait, his name's, his name is Griffin Sims? Yes. Okay. Have you ever watched the show called Red versus Blue? Red, which one? Red versus Blue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Red versus Blue, of course. You know, I thought you were making a reference to Griff and Simmons, like the there's that like start out the show, but that's awesome. That's a dope name. Sorry to get caught up on that. So um, <laughs> a little bit about me. I think I have un, like undiagnosed ADHD. So if I get off on a tangent, I apologize first and foremost, but um, your filmmaking career, because I do find that interesting and, you know, something that we have in common. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to lead with a question. Would you mind telling me about like the movie that inspired you to make movies? You know, I if I had to sum that up, it's you know probably the biggest one. There's there's a couple of them, but like the big one for me was Clerks, of course, which I know that's the one that you know that's the ship that you know sailed a bunch of sh more ships after that. You know the project like there, but right, um, right. <laughs> it that one was that kind of movie where you watch it. And you look at that and go, wow, that's that's simple enough. Like, all you got to do is get together a handful of friends and you get a location and you can make right. a movie. And it's sort of possible and so on like that. And two others to toss in that same mix is Evil Dead, the original one, and uh, El Mariachi. You know what? I just rewatched the original Evil Dead recently, like going into Evil Dead Rise. Oh, my mm -hmm. God. Like... I don't think we've even topped that in the however many years that it's been since that was out. But yeah, those are awesome. Um, I haven't seen El Mariachi. Yeah, El Mariachi. It's Robert Rodriguez's first movie. So gotcha. if you've ever you seen Desperado. Yeah, Desperado okay, no, Antonio Banderas is sort of like the it's the second one in a sense in that one. But if you check out El Mariachi, it's like he makes it on 16 millimeter. He just goes to like a Mexican town that like his buddy was like friends with and so on. And on summer vacation or whatever, they shoot this movie together. That's supposed to be just like a training exercise. But by the you know, everything kind of works out real well that he takes it and turns it into a full on feature film nice dude that is the <laughs> dream honestly because i mean well i'm sure you know this like the whole thing with evil dead and evil dead 2 could you imagine being told that you just have to remake the same movie pretty much and like but then you're gonna like i'm gonna okay i'm gonna call it a sequel uh i, I yeah those weird little production <laughs> missteps and stuff man um i think for me the movie like i always come but I always change my mind on what movie inspired me the most. Um, I'm just going to say it's Jurassic Park because it's, I still rewatch it a lot to this day and I think it holds up and it's just perfect. I can't change a thing about it. Like every time I go back to rewatch it. Yeah, that's perfect. Oh, dude, I 100% agree with you. Uh, Jurassic Park's one of my all-time favorite films. I don't know if you look behind me, you can see the VHS is sitting back there next to Last Action oh, yes. Hero. 
because I really like 1993 a lot. But um, I, Jurassic Park, I've seen that movie in theaters, I think, eight times by now. Like, I saw it when it came out, and then every single time it comes around, I make sure I go and see it, like, multiple times. So I've seen... The- Man, I wasn't even born when it originally came <laughs> out. Um, <laughs> but I did go watch the... 3d remaster that they did which was actually like the oh my god the the part where they're trying to turn the power back on and the velociraptor like comes through the wall and yeah game over game over it was awesome <laughs> yeah no I, when when that version came out like i went i saw it three times in theaters i think i saw the 3d one once and then they played a 2d version at the same time too so i went and saw that twice <laughs> nice nice that's how you do it I actually did. Um, did you do Barbenheimer this last weekend? I did. I did. Once I Oppenheimer on uh, once on Friday. I mostly always see a movie on Thursday, but it had silly times on Thursday, so I went and saw it on Friday. Right. And uh, it was it was enjoyable. It's good. You know, it's one of those ones I really liked it. Somebody was saying that there was supposed to be a bunch of weird stuff happening in it, so I was waiting for the weird stuff the whole time. I'm like, no, it's pretty pretty normal. Like, <laughs> you know, right. me and my me and my buddy just got done watching this on via VHS, one of the other podcasts we do. Uh, we watched this movie called Threads from 1984, and it's from England. And the whole thing about it is like, let's try to take like what would happen if a nuclear bomb was dropped and make it as serious and real as possible, and like literally get doctors, scientists, all this stuff to kind of get the facts straight. And that movie was just intense hardcore nothing good happens yeah. like it's not it's that kind where you're going is it better to die from the bomb or is it better to live through it and i keep going like i think right. the bomb, dying from the bomb instantaneously is what you want you don't want to be the ones living yeah. through it absolutely absolutely and i like um treated it as a as a lead up to just the trinity test itself um and then being the that history like that is what undoes Oppenheimer if we're looking at as an as in, uh, if we're looking at him as a character in that way if you know what I mean um but did you did you watch Barbie after that or was it just the Oppenheimer weekend for you just Oppenheimer you know what I'm gonna say this the Barbie one just just I don't know it looked I hate to start <laughs> saying it looks kind of dumb that was the same that was the way I felt like whenever I saw the trailers <laughs> I was like and I'm not a big Margot Robbie fan to top it off so it's like not saying that she doesn't have some decent movies here and there, but she doesn't. I can't deny. <laughs> sure, I can't deny that it's not dumb, but I can't deny <laughs> that it doesn't have clever moments. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yes, Oppenheimer. Oh my gosh, uh, hours of heart attack. Um, ten out of ten. Loved it. Nice. Yeah, no, I, 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 I still dug it. I still had a good time with him and so on like that, and there's some interesting things going on. But as I said, in the back of my mind, the whole time, I'm like, there's going to be something really happens at this point. Like, that's what I kept hearing. I'm like, no, not, not really. <laughs> it's right. like a business movie. You know what I mean? It's I like, didn't, you know. So I didn't, um, I didn't notice that Christopher Nolan actively avoids romance in his movies until, I don't know, Tenet. Like, it, it just kind of if you if you look at the films that he makes um but this was like i felt like i I don't know you had that cooking this whole time chris and you couldn't have dropped this earlier (laughs) 
Yeah, it was one of those ones. Anything that Christopher Nolan does is it's always well worth going out of the way to see. You know, I've never been like I feel right. like really disappointed in any of his films. They're they're always good on some level, you know. Some better than others, of course, right. but still solid all around. Especially like you can tell that he appreciates craft as is, you know, always opting to shoot home or going through whatever lengths to make things practical. So I'm always gonna appreciate that as far as um his movies and is the word discography goes like his career, his filmography. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it could be a discography. There's yeah. still, there's still Blu-rays and DVDs and 4Ks, you know, he, right. he's in the era yeah. where it's like but pretty how, much right past VHS. Like, um, do you do gaming on console or are you more of a PC kind of person? I game on everything. So I literally have For PC sure all the consoles, you know, handhelds and random other devices too. Um, I even like gaming on the phone like that with the Xbox live, like uh streaming on there with the, like that thing is like one of those ones, mm. like you, you can take that anywhere and you like, you literally have a portable Xbox. It's like, yeah, you pull out a Bluetooth controller, you're sitting in your car, you have some time to kill. You can bust out some games and it works solid. I've been using so, it for like th- three years. How do, that you feel, thing. how do you feel about this? Like uh shift that we're starting to make towards the digital content and um, more on downloads than physical media. Cause I'm finding it right now. Like my internet is trash. So it causes all kinds of complications <laughs> when I'm just trying to play a simple game, but yeah. Yeah. The, the full digital thing, you know, cause my whole life I kind of, I, I was a hardcore collector. I mean, I'm still that person who buys DVDs and Blu-rays to this day. Like I don't stop or anything like that. Game wise. Mm-hmm. I've almost kind of like, other than switch, I've kind of a go, you know, everything else I generally just get digital for the most part, unless I get a deal on it or something like that. Because, it's, you know, the game boxes aren't the same way that they used to be. You know, you don't get the cool booklet and you don't get all the little extra bells and whistles. And let's be honest, the game's not on the disc anymore. You put it into your PlayStation or Xbox and then it's got to download an extra like 40 gigs. You're like, well, clearly wasn't there in the first place. <laughs> like, what's the, what's the point if you can't play it right off the disc? You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I got uh, Cyberpunk 2077, and that took me like three days to be able to play just from the downloading and the updates and stuff. And then when I finally was able to play it, I got stuck on this extremely hard level, <laughs> and I kept spawning back like in the middle of fire. And it was just, yeah, I gave up on that game after a while, but I don't know if you tried that. Sure I gave it the college it, try. I, mean, I definitely gave it the college try when it came out. And I, I put in like six hours or something like that. I didn't get super mm-hmm. into it, but I was like, oh, okay, it's interesting and so on. You know, like, but I, yeah, I, I didn't go the, the distance on that one. Are you a fan of like the original like Blade Runner, cyberpunky uh, aesthetic, or is that not really your thing? No, I love Blade Runner. You know, I've. I love Cyberpunky so much that Super Mario Brothers 1993 is one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. <laughs> there you go, man. There you go. I've literally the, done more that's podcasts. That's the one that I'm thinking of, right? <laughs> I've done more podcasts on Mario Brothers 1993 than any other podcast out there. And I'm like, I'm, I want to keep that record going. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to start collecting like memorabilia, original costumes, like props and stuff like that. And then, one day when everybody's like, where's all this Super Mario 1993 stuff? You're going to have the house museum with all the props, all the costumes, and it's going to be worth like a gajillion dollars. Oh, yeah. That would be so much fun. Uh, one thing that was kind of cool is uh, 
this was a handful of years ago, I guess, because now it's the 30th anniversary, I think. But when it was the 25th anniversary, there was a with screening in Oakland that they did a Super Mario Brothers movie. And we, we went there. And, you know, there's all about maybe like 25 people that were all that showed up and so on. It was like a little screening room connected to a bar. But man, was that so much fun getting in there. And we're all watching Mario Brothers in theaters and so on like that and just having a good old right. time. It was it was too cool. Yes. No, I love that. Um, I, like the cinema experience is something that I definitely try to always keep in mind. Um, I've tried to watch cool movies at drive-in theaters. Sometimes I hate the quality, but there's something mm-hmm. about going to like a small theater and people are not like talking throughout the movie, but you're getting like the the real visceral reaction. It's like a communal space and we're all kind of, I don't know, experiencing it together. I love that. And that's why I will always prefer going to a theater over like streaming or something like that. But you know, some movies you just don't have that option, unfortunately. No, that that's kind of the sad thing nowadays is that uh, many movies just don't make it to the cinemas anymore. Cause yeah, that, that's my right. main thing of like, when I think of where I go out to, it's like, I go to the movie theaters and whatnot. And it's almost at that point where it's like the thing to do is just to really start building your own cinema in your house, because I feel that's the only way you're going to totally capture that you know I, I got a projector with like a 120 inch screen that does give you a bit of a feel of having a movie theater in the house a little bit you know a little miniature right. screening room i uh, don't have mostly the best room for it but every once in a while you know during the summertime you could pop that thing outside and have like outdoor movie night and whatnot and it does give you uh, quite a cool experience and so on you know on the small scale like you, you don't you don't you kind of take it for granted like eh, it's only 120 inches or something like that but you throw a movie up on there, put the Blu-ray version on, so on like that, it, it gets pretty dialed in. I mean, they, we, we used to have a projector in my house. I don't know how big it was, but that sounds more, I mean, I think my TV is, what, 50 or something inches. That's probably more than enough <laughs> to have a immersive cinematic experience. You know, as um, as Christopher Nolan intended you to watch Oppenheimer, Yep. No, most definitely. It's like in uh in my bedroom for like the movies I got here. I have a, a set of these THX George Lucas speakers from like the eighties and whatnot. And I combine those with an eighty set of Bose speakers. So it's got like in a sense, it's got the ultimate VHS laserdisc era sound system. They go they go with it. But I feel right. like that's perfect for movies. Like it's like un- right unregulated sound <laughs> yeah because there were those ones that's that are like awesome. those that's are those speakers the, um... that would have been like three thousand dollars or something back in the day you know like so whoever had to pay for them wow. back then you know and it's one of those ones like i just sort of adopted them as time has gone on you know and it's like dude they're sweet where'd Once you I got even get all... your hands on those uh like so my buddy's stepdad passed away and they were in his house and they, when they were cleaning things up they're like hey you want these speakers i'm like yes yes i do <laughs> Oh, that's a come up. Rest in so, peace to that guy, but that's awesome. I know. Yeah, he's a real <laughs> nice guy, but yeah. It's one of those ones, like having those speakers does give that ultimate, you know, classic feel. It, it sounds really good, too, when right. I hook it up to like a VCR, which, you know, sounds bizarre, but like it's almost like that's what it was really dialed in for was that kind of era. So like, yeah, the sound could come out real nice on there. Right. I mean, I hate to, I hate to keep bringing up Oppenheimer, but when we went, it was just so like fucking loud that it was shaking the seats and like when the when you hear the actual boom jesus christ um yeah it was too loud 
You know, and, and that's kind of good because movies kind of got quieter as time went on. I know it's like sometimes there'll be some of those movies you'll go mm-hmm. to and you almost have that feeling like, yo, uh, where's the remote? I need to turn this up a bit. Like some of these films are getting a little quiet. But um, yeah, Oppenheimer for me was also pretty Especially, loud oh too. <laughs> During like an action scene, I hate when the music is drowned out by the sound. I don't see the point of the music if it's not going to be the focus of a like, you know, non-dialogue heavy um exactly what you were saying gotten better yeah we you know it's kind of, yeah i think Hello? we're fine i think there's there's just a little catch up okay. there probably but um well it's like Should that one be, so okay a little bit of why it does that thing where it's like two different broadcast signals and i'm always connected to the stronger one but i just have to make sure sometimes that it's connected to that so sorry if it is laggy from my end it's like lightly choppy but not so bad that like it's too interfering i think you know we'll have a little bit of light talking over each other here and there it's unavoidable but uh beyond that though it's just catched up enough so yeah, no, I understand that. I, sure. I lived out in the woods, so I was I had like AT and T like uh, cellular internet that I used for the longest time until uh, I got Starlink from a uh, Tesla style internet, and that thing's been pretty solid ever since. Ooh, that sound! Tesla has it. Yeah, it's a satellite internet that's made for like you know, in a sense, rural areas where you can't normally get cable or anything like that, and it's pretty killer. Oh. Do you live out like in the mountain area or something like that? Yeah, literally like uh kind of like a couple mountain ridges away from Yosemite. Oh, wow, okay, for sure. So yeah, awesome. that's why I like those ones like I'm some people always think I'm Yosemite like Yosemite attendant. Oddly not as much as you'd think. It's one of those weird ones. It's like it's, you know, close but like one of those things that like I probably haven't been in like 10 years to tell you the truth. Wow, really? I mean, it's beautiful out there. I've actually went for the first time, I think, these past five years, just once. But uh, I've always heard people in the area, you know, friends always constantly going in. Uh, I've always wanted to go, but it is amazing and cold as hell. <laughs> yeah, it just depends on what time you get there. But no, I've, I remember one time camping, there was like a kid with me and my buddy were out there. And it was one of those nights where like the day was totally fine, but nighttime, it was so that cold where it's so cold, you can't even fall asleep. Like we literally like woke up at 5 a.m. and was like, oh, I guess you want to just go fishing. Like we, we never got any sleep. So <laughs> it, it was terrible. Damn. I can't even name the last time that I'm camping. Like I probably sound like a, I stay indoors and do nothing, but yeah, I, at this point I kind of do ever since COVID and stuff. Well, I mean, I'm sure, you know, like writing and is it's more than writing. It's a lot of sitting around and watching stuff or sitting around and playing stuff or sitting around and reading stuff. And then you finally Mm -hmm. like something just clicks in your head and then you're allowed to just kind of do it. Or, I mean, you spend a lot of time drawing, so I'm sure that's more time consuming than, you know, coming up with your outline or whatever for the week. But uh, yeah, ever since COVID, I would say that my amount of time spent outside has just plummeted. 
Yeah, for for me, it was one's like no, I felt like nothing changed. I was like, oh, that goes to show like how, but like I was just bummed that the movie theater closed. I was like, and then I realized that was the only thing I went outside and did was the movie theater. <laughs> Everything so else, real. I'm inside working and so on, so on stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess uh, that that's interesting. But um, but yeah, no, that is like what writing is all about, though. Is like I, I feel like it's about absorbing a lot of like you know media of all sorts of different right. types because you know the more you can kind of do you know it's amazing you might just start reading like a novel and then all of a sudden you start getting these extra ideas that you would have never thought even though you wanted to kind of write a screenplay or something like that but i think it's a mm-hmm. mixed match of that and then having adventures and then also talking with other people about stuff like that like triple combo of all three of those together i feel is like almost like the best way to get all the ideas kind of going Right. And I, I mean, so <laughs> this is just like, this might be TMI here, but my best ideas always hit in the shower. Um, mm-hmm. Don't know what it is, but I'll be, I'll stumble out of the shower, practically calling my best friends. Like, uh, what about this? What if we do this? Or what if the, the, the character does that? Or, you know, what if the world looks like this? And it's just, um, I try to hold on. I should call it like a shower diary at this point, but I have just like a notepad in my uh my or my notes app like full of shower ideas <laughs> and i specifically organize them for that so that i know and i can trace it back yeah it's weird but <laughs> hey anytime's a good time to have an idea you always want to keep that notepad of any sort digital physical anything nearby because yeah there's so many times when you just get an idea and it's like you i always realize always write them down Always write them down. Never think that right. one, you're going to memorize it. And two, never think that one, like, oh, maybe it's just an okay. I, just write down anyways. You know what I mean? Because so many times you'll come back and you'll find stuff and be like, dude, that's a great idea. Where, when did that one come up? You know what I mean? Like, but it's written down. You know, it came from somewhere. Right. Like, I definitely try to live by the So my, my comic universe has so many different characters and like things that I want to explore later on down the line that it's like, I just try to live by whatever is the best idea is normally what I end up remembering the most. I take whatever I do remember. And then when I'm out and about in the world and I don't have, you know, my, my notes app open or anything, just constantly running through those ideas and like trying different puzzle pieces, seeing what works, seeing if there's like a trajectory to any of those ideas. Um, And it is whatever I remember the next time I, I, do that that i feel like i end up implementing back into an outline or something like that so it's a super scatterbrain process for me um but like you said like i'll just be out and about um whatever say and then it's like now i have this whole different character that was not in the universe before mind you i'm talking about a comic book series that technically doesn't even exist yet but (laughs) like i have been trying to keep these ideas organized to later be able to sift through them and see if there's anything there for my initial inspirations. Um, I was able, I wasn't able to read all the issues of the boy that from you, um, mm-hmm. pizza boys, sorry, but I read the first issue, loved it, found it to be exactly as you pitched it to me, which is like, you know, a comic book sitcom. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't think I've ever read anything that wasn't necessarily episodic. Like I, I got into comic books through Marvel and DC, of course. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've, it felt like I've been playing catch up, but I, I like the format that you chose. Like you said, like open, open for a new readership at all times, which is awesome. And I want to pick up the, um, the new arc that you're doing. That's supposed to be a, like a more continuous type of thing. 
Yeah, the new one I got is the Ninjutsu Sunrise, doing it like 80s, 90s, uh, American-style kung fu movies. I always feel like things like American Ninja, Surf Ninjas, Ninja Turtles, Karate mm-hmm. Kid, that kind of era of stuff. But, um, but yeah, see, I, yeah, I'm glad you, you jumped into Pizza Boys, dug the format, because now I'm almost like, I, I almost look at my first issue now, I call that like my punk rock issue, like where you're, like, you're, you're figuring everything out. That one's like the one where it's, <laughs> right, all, it's, right. like, watch, it's like watching the first South Park episode, and you kind of, you know, you kind of look at like how like it's put together and how rough it sort of looks, but that's almost like adds charm to it by this point. Right. Because I think when you go back and you want to, you know, every time you rewrite an issue of Pizza Boys, I'm sure you refer back to that first issue because it's like, this is where your story, you know, even though you can read it out of order, this is where your story started. So there's like a a certain tone that you are always going to want to bring back and stuff. And I mean, since our series One Son has, it's so many big (laughs) ideas and concepts trying to dwindle that down to like what should be our first issue has just been like a nightmare personally i've probably done uh like i think i told you this before um before i wanted it to be the most expensive superhero tv show ever but we both (laughs) know that's not gonna happen without it actually you know coming into existence in one way or another in in breaking it down into that comic book format it's just like man how do i even take a reader from beginning to middle to end mind you i'm a film student so i'm thinking this is going to be a breeze i'm just writing fucking images that and then i'm going to fill in the dialogue later but no in this whole process i've just gained such a tremendous amount more of respect for comic book creators because i have always been a fan but now seeing the, the back end and what goes into it it's just like what is what is your process like how did you organize your thoughts and ideas and like hell going back and reading a marvel um like a marvel crossover event where do you even begin to map something like that out and yeah it's insane um these yeah comic book creators that i've been meeting in these past few months are some of the most clever and like sleeper creative people ever yeah, it's definitely one of those ones. Comics is such a special medium that, like, it's kind of almost becoming like a hidden gem section of media in a sense. Like, everybody knows of comics, but mm. it's not always like everybody knows, like, every, you know, in, deep into comics, you know, and something like that. But it is that one style that, like, you can literally pretty much tell every single story you ever could want. And realistically, the only thing that mostly always takes is time. Time is the biggest thing. It's, you know, it's like where a movie, there's always continuous spending that no matter what, there's always going to be continual, continual, continual spending, new software, new equipment, new, you know, thing, you know, production stuff, things that can only be used once before they explode. And then you got to get another one, you know, stuff like that, (laughs) you know. The, the only thing that comics really it has one thing that it just doesn't kind of have over the other things. And it's, it does miss out on the audio audio is like, it's only kind of lack. You don't, you know, technically don't right. have the soundtrack, which you could still sort of get that to play in people's heads. If you kind of write it in a certain way, you know, and sometimes when it comes to certain things, you don't have the proper voices, which I think that more comes when you have something that has like a lot more cartoony voices. Like I'll, I'll use something like mm-hmm. this. It's like, you know, when you see like Simpsons comics and so on like that, if for some reason the Simpsons comic was the only time you ever saw the Simpsons, you had no idea what those characters sounded like. I feel like that might lose a little bit of like the charm of the characters' voices and so on if you can't play them yourself in your head. 
you know? Right. Definitely, definitely. Um, and something that I've been trying to be okay with is, I mean, I'm sure all of us hope at some point in the day to be able to at least lead the adaptation of our own IP into like a, you know, a visual format, whether it's cartoon, movie, TV show, whatever it's going to be, video game. Um, I, I know that a lot of us would probably prefer to be at the, like at least on board of the captain ship when they are doing that. Um, but I feel like in going through and trying to, uh, again, like what is my first issue going to be? Letting to learn go or learning to let go, sorry, of that, uh, that fear of what, what it could be adapted into later or later on down the line. Does that make sense? Like learning to be okay that maybe at some point in the future, this will be out of my hands and somebody else will have the responsibility of translating it to a visual media. Now I just look at it like, it seems like people who are interested in IP and are interested in translating it from comic book to film format, they want to please the fans. So right now I'm just making it my job to just like build that community, build what it is like, um, what you should come to expect with every issue of one son. Uh, and yeah, I'm just, you know, taking notes from all these creators that I've been meeting and whatnot, but yeah, it's been, um, I don't even know where to start when people ask me how the process has been. It's been so many different things all at once is all I can say. Well, I, I did flip through your uh, one son kind of like pre-stage art book slash, you know, concept designs and all that good stuff there, you know, so at least, you know, awesome, that's, awesome. that's one, that's one step of the way towards the journey, you know, and many of things of any creative projects, if you can always just get a little bit done every single day, it, it all adds up eventually. It, it all gets there, you know? Right. Right. And, you know, I think what was shocking to me is coming from the film background, I thought that was maybe the hardest thing to stick through but i feel like with a film you have a crew at least you have cast like people to really rely on but then when it's pulling these ideas just from your head i mean and you draw your book so mm -hmm. it, it's literally a matter of will some days like like <laughs> will i finish this page or will i go to the go to the movies and get a bite to eat like it, it's really up to you um and, and with the comic book, I feel like it's that way as well. And you have a lot more control about the story that you're telling. Uh, but it's, it, it is just complete willpower. With a film, I feel like everybody's excited at, at first. Um, with, with the comic book, at least for me, it's just how much money give artists at this point in time and what can they do for that. Um, and yeah, yeah. So we're about, I think we just got three or four people we're definitely over the halfway mark as far as artwork goes um and then it clicked in my head just last week i need a i need a letter like that <laughs> i'm gonna have to find a letter sometime yeah there, there's all those little extra jobs mm -hmm. i mean i think that's why I, I i ended up just doing it all myself because just from doing filmmaking and so on like that that was the biggest like struggle that i sort of had is that i used to always have a joke where i'd be like you know everybody loves the idea of making a movie until they actually get on set and see how much actual work there is involved even people that say that they're in the movies don't i don't think they just they just 
don't comprehend the, the, the time it takes to create stuff. Right. And I think that's the, that's the biggest crutch that like kind of gets people, you know, and th- they'll fall out and so on like that. So I felt, Hey, if I make a singular comic a hundred percent by myself, you know, I know I can't fail myself. <laughs> that, that was my main thing. You know, right. other people might not, you, right. you might not be able to always count on, but you can always count on yourself, you know? Well, I mean, originally I was going to be drawing the book, um, but I just, you know, I see all these awesome superhero comics coming out from indie creators. I mean, Impound is one of them. And it's mm-hmm. just like, I need my, I need our superheroes to be on the shelf next to them. And I'm not freaking the hell out that like, and, and getting that, like, you know, that literal artist's imposter syndrome that I just kind of phoned it in. I, my, because I'm not, I'm no artist by training or anything like that. So pretty much every panel I was doing was, a literal reference photo of me in in like a mock-up costume trying to get like the poses as best I can even for the women this is what I was doing and I can't draw women's faces for shit so <laughs> it was gonna be an ugly book and yeah I'm really glad that we ended up pivoting in, in another uh, in another direction but um that has just you know extended that hill and and made you made me think about things and a bunch of different ways. I mean, I'm not sure if you saw on Instagram, but I just this last weekend, we drove down to San Diego for comic con, um, to meet, uh, the, the person that helped us get in touch with our new artist, his name's, uh, Mark Teodosio, who has the realist Bionni comic book. Um, and that was just a, a kind of same thing with comic verse con, like a reaffirming that, I'm definitely in the right space and I'm definitely meeting my kind of people. And we basically met the person who uh, got us in touch with our new artist. And it was just very reaffirmed space and that I'm, you know, surrounded by like-minded creatives felt very much like comic verse con where, you know, you may be strangers with a person, but then the more you start to talk to them like us, uh, you start to realize you may have a lot more in common. And it's like, that's what, that's what this whole genre and, is for um is bringing people together realistically through the art of storytelling much like film mm-hmm. no definitely most uh, you know for sure um when you're down there did, did you ever did you meet at comic verse did you meet uh brandon from malevolent rising i don't think i did is he the one that had that book called sin was that was that what it was called no his, his is malevolent rising is what it's called um oh, okay okay he, he got a booth over at san diego comic-con so that's one of those ones i'm like oh i want to talk to him again and see how that whole experience went because that seems i've almost kind of come to the conclusion that sometimes for comic-cons it's almost like you know now there's nothing wrong if you if you can hit up as many as possible that's good too but there's something to be said about just hitting the really really big ones because sometimes there's right. certain places when you're in sometimes some real small towns and so on like that and i kind of hate to sort of say it but it, there's just not enough readers coming through. Cause that's what I summed it up is a lot of times you can, you can have a bunch of people come to the door and they bought tickets. That's great for the person putting on the event. Doesn't really help out the vendors inside when it's like, you realize that, Oh, these people don't really read. Cause if someone doesn't read, it's, it's, I call it the right. equivalent of like, it's like trying to sell a car to someone who doesn't drive. What are they going to do with it? You know what I mean? And if they don't read, what are they going to do? They might like the way it right. looks. They might like the art, but you know, it, it's not the same thing. So sometimes I feel like you want to be in a place where you know that there's serious people coming in, not people that go, Hey, I got $5 and I'm bored on the weekend, right. you know, 
enough to get in through no, the door, and, yeah, and that's the only money them... they're going to spend. Right. If if you want them to be willing to just sit down and invest in your book, it's, I mean, we've done a couple events where they're, they were not comic book based at all to make a couple sales, especially because uh, our sales right now have been just pushing that, you know, you get your name on the Mahalo page with a certain purchase uh, amount and, and so on and so forth. Um, but even at that, you have to talk these people like and like pitch them it's not an elevator pitch either you can open with Mm -hmm. that and we got really good at our elevator pitch but the you have to almost fully describe this world to them when you don't have the comic book in hand so i mean for me i'm just excited to finally have the book in hand but i haven't even thought about as far as you're saying now which is some events people are there for like anime or they're there for the video game stuff. And yeah, good luck getting them to actually want to invest in your product. Right. Yep. I, I've noticed that many a times that like, you'll know, some people be like, Oh no, no, I, I only read manga or I only like anime or like, you know, they're, they're like singular mm-hmm. fan base people. And it's one of those ones. Cause to me, I'm that kind of person that my whole life growing up, I, I liked it all. I felt like I love movies. I love animation. I love both anime and cartoons, American style, same with comic books and mangas, you know, like video games, I said video games, whatever. All that stuff kind of comes together in my book, wrestling, all, you know, all the things that you see, sci-fi, right. toys, action figures. Like I like it all, but I, I kind of realize that a lot of people only like one or two things and that's it. You know, and mm. those people, it's not saying you can't sell it to them. You mean, I, I've definitely got people that told me that they don't, they've never read comic books and I've still sold them a comic book at the end of the day, but right. you definitely are paddling up a Creek with that one. You know, it, it, you, you are doing the uphill battle of trying to forcefully get something. So I always feel like it'd be nice to be in a, a situation where, cause when I used to go to comic cons before I sold at comic cons, my main thing was like, where's the books that I just can't go get anywhere else. That was what I always wanted to find. I want to find, cool indie comic books that I know I can't go to the store to find. I'm not going to probably find them easily online. You know, where can I find that stuff at? I mean, thank you to the internet for connecting us with those smaller creatives and stuff. I'm, uh, have you heard of like Godhood comics? No, I don't think I have actually. Sure. I think they're, I think they're based out of Atlanta. I could be wrong or maybe one of their comics is but um yeah they are kind of the the main company that i see as like the blueprint for what we were kind of going for which is really just like superhero imprint comic books i don't know if their books are completely connected thing like that but just the way that they've done it you can tell that they spend the time on the art they spend the money on the lettering like all that kind of stuff so using them as like a um i guess like what's the word like like a standard yeah so mm-hmm. so we want our book to be able to exist on the same shelf as them um so what do we need to do and then like deconstructing their process uh, uh in terms of how they make a comic not i'll never say rival them but to be able to understand why they make their book that way or maybe why they spend x amount of dollars on a page whereas this other company spends X amount of dollars on a page, which I can't believe that that is literally, it's literally like a film where it's by page, it's by minute. And you're just thinking about every getting one page done 
for a set of hours per day. Um, but yeah, once I figured that kind of formula out too, like as far as budgeting and stuff with the comic book goes, that was where I really felt like we started making like progress. Like mm-hmm. I'm not swimming in debt, wondering and like wondering where it's finally going to hit. And like, I'm going to start to see progress. Um, but yeah, once we were able to find that new artist and stuff like that and just apply everything we had learned up to that point, and on forward, I feel so much better about it. But there, I, I, I don't know if I told you about this, but there was a point in there where I really didn't know if we were going to finish this book because um, we, we had a falling out with the artist. And yeah, it was just, um, I think I was at the time getting pretty insecure about just feeling like if the art's not good, then I, I don't know if somebody's actually going to pick it up. I don't know if somebody's going to want to spend 10 bucks on an issue and then spend another 10 bucks to figure out where it goes from there. Um, and then do I, I had like three artists working on the first issue. Like, do I really want three different art styles, I guess, defining the first, the the literal first appearance of our world. So yeah, (laughs) that's just, it's just been, um, a whole process of one problem pops up another problem pops up what is the best um creative decision luckily it's not like a film where every day we're spending money on crew and cast and literally keeping the lights on for a production um but there was a moment where i was like i don't i don't know if spending money to do this is even and then i'm glad that i yeah came out of that because i'm very happy with how the book looks right now (laughs) yeah well it's definitely one of those ones you know sometimes you're just not too sure until like you know it actually happens and sometimes the best thing to do is just to go with it like what's the worst is going to happen you know even at the end of the day like hey spend a little bit of extra money than you want to you know but at least you you know you could say hey i did it i I, I got this going got this project You know, and I think that's kind of the most important thing. But then also being able to find that sort of streamlining of it, balancing of all like the pricing and so on like that, you know. Even with myself, I'm like, I get that point signs because since I do everything myself, that also sort of takes a toll because like there's just almost not enough time in the day to get all the things you need to get done, done. And then sometimes some of my issues have been taking a lot longer to come out than I would like. It'd be nice to have them out like at least at the the you know three months is i i I like when i can do it like that but sometimes it just doesn't happen that way you know and i always kind of wonder what is the next best step for me if i want to add more to like a team to actually have somebody else and i don't i'm at that point where i'm like i don't want somebody else just to draw it draw it because i like i like the style that i've got going like i've come to that point where at first Mm -hmm. i was just drawing just to draw it because i was like well you know i'll just do this and whatnot but as time has went on i'm like you know i personally actually like my style quite a bit as it's kind of gone on so that's kind of been like i don't want to lose that you know but what are ways that i can you know speed up some of the process you know and get things going and still continue it it's almost like you need a protege well that's i feel i I, you know like a lot of times i think because in in manga books what they have is in this is like the unspoken thing but like you know because you only see the one dude or gal on the cover who wrote and drew it or um but uh 
there's mostly always like three to four other people, you know, or maybe two to four other people that work on it in Japan that are uncredited, you know, people that, so it's like, there really is actually a full team working on those mangas because they got to pump out 19 pages every single week for some of those ones, like a maniac schedule. It's just ridiculous. But I almost think that's kind of like, you know, there's some of those extra jobs in there that like, you know, that just would speed up the process, but you're still doing the core drawings, but then you still have somebody else that can come in there and, you know, fill in extra little details here and there, you know, you know, tone these areas a little bit more, all that stuff that takes up extra time that you could almost just be working on the next panel. You know, I think something like that would almost be the right. way to go. The other way I toss up is if I had someone who did the inking, like I still did all the drawings, but then I had somebody come over and ink because the inking almost takes me, that takes me way longer than drawing by far. You know, I, I've kind of summed up that do it probably takes. Um, go ahead. Do you, do you draw physically first and then like scan it in? No, I, I draw everything digital. Like, and I learned to draw okay. in a bizarre way. I learned to draw on those tablets that like you draw on the tablet while you look at the screen. That's literally how I learned to draw. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I think those were like really common in like, or like at least industry standard for a lot of things. So, I mean, they're, they've been around, but I, I've never had one personally. Yeah, they, they've literally been around since the '70s. You could get one for like an Apple II, <laughs> like, oh. like, gotcha. like, but like, like they've been there forever, you know. But as I said, like I just kind of like learned to sort of draw on one of those, and I got so used to it. Now I draw on screens. I got that for both my computer, and then I'm like when I'm on the go, I because I've mostly been out like and about more often is I've been doing all my inking on an iPad pro because I can just literally draw like in the car and so on like that, you know, actually getting an iPad, probably the greatest thing I ever did. Cause that, I mean, if I didn't get an iPad, then I wouldn't have attempted to make a comic and then I wouldn't have made a comic. So thankfully I got the iPad, but I normally would have traditionally drawn and sketched and stuff physically never considered myself much of an artist but like now i'm actually able to uh for instance a lot of my characters have like tattoos so i'm able mm -hmm. to actually make up little pieces and like chunks to send off to the artist that way more you know accurately translate to onto their own drawings um, but if not for things like that then i feel like i'd be kind of shit out of luck and and just struggling to convey some of the more like uh nuanced details visually um but now i can just like mock up a sketch cover or like literally i hate doing this to them but stick figures does get the point across a lot of the time uh if i can i try to actually you know give the characters some anatomy and like label out who's doing what um but yeah normally, normally yeah. it's just stick figures <laughs> yeah definitely you know just kind so of have you ever that. um mm-hmm Sorry, have you ever actually like have you ever drawn someone else's book or just your own creations? Uh, I've only done variant covers for other people. I've never, I've never drawn anything beyond just my own projects in a sense. You know, and it's it's one of those sure, ones like sure. I, once again, I like I wouldn't think if if I would have if somebody said like, hey, I want you to draw my book, I felt like I don't really think of myself as like that kind of artist. I'm like, okay, I feel I'm writer first and i can do my own projects but i don't know if i want to take on somebody else's mm. project like that in a sense i think that would be 
kind of a weird right. beyond like I like I don't mind doing a pinup or a variant cover or anything kind of fun like that. But yeah, that that would be like I don't think of myself as that like you know that's almost like not really my I, I mean don't be wrong I enjoy drawing but I don't it's not like that that thing that's like man I could just be drawing twelve hours straight a day I like right. I, I don't have like that exact thing like I feel like sometimes even like drawing more than like four or five hours in a day can just like that that could be almost a lot in itself. Right, and I feel like um, I feel like that transition of going from working on your own book and kind of you know doing it how you want to do it to, to working on someone else's book would be like going from I'm a director and then I'm a cinematographer on someone else's thing. I, I don't know if like that'd be fun. I don't know if I could draw somebody else's book either. I mean, hell, just trying to draw um, some comic book characters seems laborious after a while. So yeah because you just sometimes would get you know you know just get some projects and i just feel like you would draw something and then somebody like oh that's actually not really what i was picturing it's just like well you, you could have gave more details in the first place yeah it's almost i don't want to deal with that you know right. though i will say because you brought up the cinematography thing i used to always say because when i made movies and so on like that i always ended up doing so many different jobs that i always like went man mm. i would love to just be the cinematographer on somebody else's movie and not have any other job but that one singular job you know right like, that would be so right. nice not that not to have to be like, oh, okay, got to make sure the sound's doing good. Got to check that. Got to check the script. Then I got to go back to the camera. And it's, it's sort of like directing and shooting at the same time. There's a reason why the director and the cameraman should be two different people. You just almost can't mm -hmm. pay enough attention to everything at once because you're either going to go one of two ways. You're either right. going to be looking at the acting or you're going to be looking at how does the scene look on camera. But trying to go back and forth on that, that's always right. such a, a tough balance. No, I, I totally agree. And it gets into that thing where I feel like, um, I don't know, for instance, film is just, like you said, too many to be paying attention to at once. And I feel like if, for instance, before I found out about the like what an assistant editor does and like how they comb through the footage, they go through the dailies and the selects, yada, yada, versus what the editor does, for us, the little guys, we are both. So I always imagine that for these big Hollywood films, the actual editor is going through every single minute of playback and like trying to find and like craft those images. So thankfully with film, I mean, you get to break up the responsibilities amongst more people, but for people who are working on a shoestring budget, we just have to know how to do that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know how you did it when you shot your own stuff, but it would be literally down to me just deleting the takes I know I'm not going to use off the SD card to then save space on the SD card and then to the edit have footage that I know I was going to use at the end of the day. That's just like a last resort. Um, I've had to work around so many like, different things in that area and stuff too. Well, you know, my big thing, what I would do for shoots is I would always shoot with way more cameras and way more microphones than anybody would probably normally need. But I, I loved always being like <laughs> safe and having as many backups as possible, especially when you're doing like sort of live events and so on. Because for a while I did like I did like wedding videos and so on like that. And those are those ones I felt like no way. It's one day I got to get this all captured right here and there. You know, right. so I'm right. I'm just gonna set I I literally set up like six or seven cameras and put about three 
microphones placed all around. Plus, the cameras themselves all have their microphones on, too, because you just never know. Because, you know, a lot of times people, too, right. like, you know, they'll be talking on the mic and you're thinking you're going to record from there. And then they just set the mic down and then they're off talking God knows where else. And you're like, at least that one uh, camera camcorder sitting over there at least had a microphone on it. And I could at least use that audio. It might not be the greatest audio, but audio is still audio. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I can't wait till I have the opportunity to at least cross shoot a dialogue because that is just the most tedious thing on the planet is just trying to get literally just a master and then over the over the shoulder coverage. For some reason, my takes never end up lining up. They like the dialogue always ends up changing in between camera shifts, and it's just madness. It's complete. Like I end up using half of the master. And then half of the scene from the coverage. Yeah. And a lot of times those shots too, I would line up, I would, I would do them like sitcom style where I'd put three cameras up and then I'd capture it all at once. <laughs> Jeez. Did you, did you rent your cameras out or you, you just have that many cameras? Um, well, digital cameras by a certain point, I did have that. Before, a lot of times it would just be like, you would just have like, I'd have a camera, somebody else would have a camera, and we'd sort of combine forces mm. to like kind of have them. But I always liked having that multiple, because even if you have like, let's say like, okay, one camera is, you know, of course, your master camera that's going to be much more better than others. You can still sometimes use a cheap camera for sometimes some extra shots and so on that you, you know, could still sure. work on in, you know, like it's, it's amazing. Like one movie that like, really stood out to me for cameras and being able to utilize it was, um, oh, it's a gosh, drawing blank right now. Jason Statham movie. It's a sequel one. Um, what the heck is that movie called? Um, the high voltage. Yes. The, the, uh, yeah. Crank, crank two. No, Crank 2, High Voltage, Crank. that's the one. Because that movie was one of those ones Yo. where, like, they, sh they shot that movie on, like, one like f one or two $4,000 cameras, and the rest were all, like, $300 cameras. Like, and they just, you know, th that's, that's what like they the... He's, like, the unbeatable machine in that one, right? Like, he, and, like, what, he can't die or something? Like, I haven't seen them in a while, but I remember I... <laughs> mom freaking out that i was watching it <laughs> yeah well because they are extreme movies yeah he's just got to like the first one he just always has to keep his heart going i want to say you know so he's just got to do ridiculous things to stay like you know active and all that kind of stuff and the second one just goes even That's what the I second one's like one of those ones goes even more extreme and just has some great stuff in it but the, the whole thing is that like yeah they, they, they don't shoot that that movie on very like fancy equipment it's just it's almost like stuff that you could practically almost go pick up at like a best buy you know and the fact that like that's right. what they're using is like that's cool like i i like that kind of like because i'm like one of those people like i appreciate like more kind of guerrilla punk rock tactics for putting together projects and art Same. you know like you know that to me is always really cool. You know, it's the same thing with music. I think like music sounds sometimes better when you get more raw feels than getting like overly produced 72 track, you know, stuff where it's just, it, it starts going like, like, okay, you, you could pump it back now, you know, maybe uh, eight tracks will do the job better in a sense. It'll, you'll get more of the feel of the tunes. Right. 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 And we don't need the, I mean, I hear it everywhere now, but everybody just stacking their vocals and, singing on that like <laughs> some falsetto nonsense but regardless i still feel like um with film like uh have you have you ever heard about the production of the first um paranormal activity uh-huh yeah no I, I saw that one in theaters insane 
love that. But like the way that they make that movie literally was the direct they just paint it and then dress it and shoot all the scenes with two uh new actors. Like I would much rather prefer that uh approach to filmmaking than the studio backed, um, we're gonna shoot it inside and and you need to use it. Otherwise we're not gonna get funding from this one company. So you have to do that and like you know, mark all the boxes and stuff like that. That just seems like less fun in terms of creativity. Yeah, well, that that's why I like I, I like like I don't know if you ever watch any Woody Allen movies or anything like that, but like his movies are mostly very like they almost feel like the same thing too. It's like you could just totally make this yourself. They're very casual. They're just talky pictures with light comedy thrown mm. in between of just people like slice of life style, you know. And it's like I, I like that when when I see that kind of filmmaking, it's like that's the kind I like. It's like almost one of those ones where like or Edward Burns, he always feels like he does kind of like secondary like Woody Allen stuff in like the nineties and two thousands. And then he also stars in big movies too. But um, like, you know, he's got movies where it's like, it practically just takes place like almost like an apartment, you know, in a couple other locations. Right. And that's the whole thing. It's just a character, like almost piece. And that it's simple and to the point. And like, I, I love that. And I feel like when you make movies like that, you can be in a lot more full control. I mean, even Francis Ford Coppola right. said, he's like, I think Woody Allen is the filmmaker that figured it out because he's in a hundred percent control of all his movies. He never has studios telling him what he can and can't do. He's not trying to beg for extra money and so on like that, you know? And I think there's something right. he said about, about having kind of control. And I don't, I don't know. It's like, that's almost what I kind of like about like comic books is, you're in control mm. in a sense. You don't have somebody else telling you what you can and can't do. You know, you could do what, pretty much whatever you generally like want. Complete. Yeah. Right, right. And I feel I feel like, um, at least in terms of film, that's why I always gravitate back towards like the horror genre or at least uh, low budget horror. Mm -hmm. Like you can still have a very like, a very nuanced character study on your main character, but then also give the audience a little bit of what they want, which is blood and explosions yep. or violence, whatever it is. Uh, the thing with that being that, you know, it does increase the budget exponentially because you at least need props and makeup and pads if you're going to be doing crazy stuff. Um, but I really appreciate the greats like, I mean, Raimi and stuff like that who – like shepherded that kind of underground DIY horror style that, you know, opens you up to so many different kinds of stories and whatnot. Over on the comic world, really, as soon as I learned that you could print your own comic book, I think it was only a matter of time until I made my own. Um, like before, right? No idea that you could even print it in that format at the size and then buy your own, um, like specially sized back boards and bags and stuff like that. So it's just like a whole new world right now. You can really do whatever you want if you invest your time and effort and honestly money into it. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, that is sort of the upside of the era that we kind of live in right now is you technically can pretty much do any of these things that you want to and you don't need education you know that that the education's all there you know what i mean you don't have to go to any fancy schools right. or anything like that you could pick any artistic you know journey you want to take and you could literally just start right this second 
you know, and, you know, you start stacking the equipment that you need, you know, and piecing together. And that's kind of the cool thing. I mean, the only downfall is the fact that everybody else has that same, you know, uh, like, you know, opportunity now too. So it does make the pool a little bit bigger than it once was, but, um, you know, yeah, it's just kind of nice that everybody can kind of freeform their own stories and, you know, really, you know, tell the exact thing that they want. I mean, that's a lot of times why a lot I, I like to read like mangas over like the animes is because I feel like mm-hmm. when I read those ones, I'm kind of getting the solo vision slash those other three or four unnamed <laughs> assistants beyond those people. You kind of get like the one vision thing, which is just kind of cool where, you know, that once it gets to an right. anime, even though they, they stick kind of similar, you start getting the committee throwing in all kinds of ideas and so on like that. And you know, sure. maybe that some for some things that does you can make things better. You know, but like sometimes I, I like the one I like the one vision just to see what this is one person's story. I want to see how they run that. You know, absolutely. I was just gonna say that. Like I I feel like right what we do on a comic book level will then influence in five, ten, twenty years maybe it'll it, it'll be influencing that new wave of you know the generation of filmmakers that we are when they finally break into the industry and they're telling those stories, they're going to be like, well, what can we adapt that hasn't been adapted? And they're going to look at whatever Godhood comics, impound comics. And like, let's translate those properties because it is their turn. And I feel if you're just looking at the general direction that media is going right now, we've had the same, honestly, the same players in these huge positions of power. I'm looking at you, Mickey Mouse, like, who have just mm-hmm. been literally now they're at a point where they're parodying their own art. Like they're, they're taking their own art and then just redoing it again. List and like they're, it's just not really turning out anything new. And, you know, I hear a lot of people talking about Disney fell off so hard that now Pixar starting to fall off. And that's sad to us. Cause we grew up on Disney movies. We grew up on Pixar movies and we, we want them to be good but I don't feel any innovation coming from them because a lot of the movies that I do see now, I just feel like retreads of honestly, Indiana Jones, Jaws and Jurassic Park, like (laughs) in some form or another, they're just trying to elicit the feelings that those movies really did. But yeah, that's, that's my mini rant on the industry as a whole at the moment. It's um, I feel like that's why we're, Yeah, what's well, that one that like you know? At least the cool thing is that the, you know if you gotta look a little bit, but you can find all sorts of other you know media, mm-hmm. movies, comics, all that stuff out there. All these different types of tales and stories to you know find exactly. and so on. You know, and yeah, it's like one of those. There's certain like big movies that yeah they'll be great, they'll be awesome like that, and then there's other ones too where they're they're they become kind of a cash grab and you know I mean I I hate to sort of say as much as I love cinema as being one of my favorite things, you know I feel the days of the like going to the movie theaters is getting closer and closer to the end. I mean I I, I would be surprised if in 20 years from yeah. now that there'll be actual cinemas that you can go to beyond like 
a couple major cities. Like I feel like what they'll become is they'll become novelties, almost equivalent to you know the way that like other things are, like finding a good arcade and things like that. Like they just they're not going right. to exist as frequently all over the place, you know. Because I mean, even now it's like you kind of when when I go to the movies, it's like rarely is a movie theater even packed, and you're like, dude, it's opening day, and there's like there's like 15 other people here. Like, are they even making the money for the air conditioning that they're like you know turning on right now? Right, right. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, thankfully, we have AMC A list because we are very avid moviegoers. We're mm-hmm. there every weekend. It's like we we know we're gonna at least spend the money on the popcorn and stuff like that. But I feel like as soon as TVs get big enough or projectors get quiet enough, that is where we're really gonna start to see the shift from like film film going versus just film viewing if that yeah. makes sense like I, it's only a matter of time till the technology that is available like at a consumer is really available and it's competing with whatever your little uh chain theater is yeah well and it's one of those ones too it's just, it's just there's a lot of people i think that uh you know they're they're content with just watching the movie at home on their fifty five inch TV and calling it a day right there. Right. You know because they're not they're they're not in a sense into movies. They like movies, but they're not like into it where they really love it when they want to see them on the cinema. And they like the right. all the behind the scenes and all the extra aspects to them. You know what I mean? They're just eh, it'll come out on TV in two months. I'll just wait for that. You know, and I think that's the thing too. It kind of gets to it as it says becoming more of a you know, a novelty thing, like so many other, you know, kind of businesses mm-hmm. are that are changing, but, um, you know, I mean, enjoy movies crap, for as long that, as you can. Uh, right. Right. We, I, there was a minute ago where I totally thought that the comic book industry was collapsing because so many different, uh, local retailers were just closing down. I, I didn't mm-hmm. know why. I mean, you know, obviously constantly going through shifts and changes, but, Again, that's why I'm excited about all these new emerging voices. Is there there was that big boom uh, image, but other than boom image, IDW, shit is I. Yeah, IDW. They have to be right. Like, no, they just don't publish Transformers anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like they are the main indie creators but then what happens well, i hate to sort of say it like to... is i i always say you, those companies th- those companies aren't really indie like in a sense like especially sure, like exactly image, like, exactly I, like I, I love going to a comic book store and go hey do you guys carry any indie and they're like well, well there's some image books over here i always stop and be like let's be honest image <laughs> is not indie Oh, look at the creators that are on there. Like if that creator has right. been working at Marvel in DC, like it's that kind of thing that I almost feel you can't be indie anymore if once you become established. Once you become established, you'll right. never have that title of indie. You are now even if you pay for it your own self in a way, which technically I guess makes it indie by that standard, but the thing is you already have name brand recognition. I think that declassifies you from indie. Where indie is supposed to be nobody knows who the heck you are right now, and that's what makes it cool and interesting. Right. Right, because that's that's what I was, you know, getting to is the fact that all all those properties by the time I feel like we're forty or fifty are already going to be starting to be translated into other mediums and stuff. I mean, you know, Spawn is obviously like the keystone character of that side of the fence. 
Um, mm-hmm. What happens to Marvel and DC by that point in time? I do not know. I feel like there's always going to be room for them, but they're going to have to innovate at some point or another. Um, and the thing is, is that they pick off of, they don't pick off of image. They pick off of the creators like you or I for what is like the general consensus on like what's hot right now. So the, I've seen them implement ideas from like the smaller creators because they're smaller and like, you know, ride those trends and whatnot. So again, uh, I just really feel like what we do on a microscopic level ends up impacting the industry as a whole, no matter what it is, whether you're making pizza boys or the new issue of impound, like those are things that everybody is going to be aware of. And everybody, um, within this community is talking about. So we're constantly learning about these new uh, stories and stuff that, that, that are readily available because people like you or I are taking the time to create it. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one of those ones too. And people like, it's almost like, I think we're getting to that point where everybody's going to have their sort of niche audience of like, Hey, this person's they're into this exact thing, this genre right here, specifically the way that these stories kind of mm-hmm. go. And that's kind of the cool thing be that we do have this. If you like one story of something, the upside is you can mostly find a couple others that are in a similar ballpark, you know, and keep going mm-hmm. down that rabbit hole, you know, no different than like, you know, finding different movies or different bands and all that stuff. Stuff and then just keep going, oh, there's more and more and more stuff kind of like this. But that's a cool thing. I, I like that. You know, it's a lot of times that's right. the neat thing is that you got this variety and these choices that you can all, you know, go through and so on. Even just like comics, like, you know, I got like the Comicsology Unlimited. And sometimes you find some random stuff on there that you would have normally never probably picked up in the store. But then you find there, you're like, ah, oh, this is right. pretty cool. And next thing you know, you've read like seven graphic novels of it. And you're like, hey, you, you, you never know what you're going to find. Right. And I I mean, even though, you know, our books are not available on previews world or in your local comic retailer, I think that's what makes when we finally do get a a person to purchase our own book, it feels like a much more like personalized, like almost tailored experience because you, you, you probably either bought it at a booth. So you met the, you met the creator directly or you stumbled onto their social media. You found them interesting oh, I like this artwork, I'm going to give them a follow, whatever it is. Um, I feel like that's just really more how people shop these days regardless. Again, we had that little scare. Um, I forget when it was, but when all those comic retailers were closing and everything had to be shifted around, mm-hmm. um, I think it's better to be straight to consumer at this point in time. You know, I think people are just spending money because of you know shout out to apple pay like it, it's just more it's easier to buy stuff online than to actually go to a point so for like the indie creators and stuff we actually have that leg up in a way although the normal process of buying a comic book is honestly a little bit different normally yeah, no. Well, I think it's that good one that it does work in many ways. It's like it's also like all the handmade artwork. You know, it doesn't mean necessarily comic books or anything, but just all that mm-hmm. sort of section of creativity and so on. People like that, you know, nowadays. Like it used to be, there was a period where like, 
oh man, why, why would I buy this cool vase that this guy, you know, made when I could just go to Walmart and buy one for seven bucks? Well, nowadays people, they, they don't want the seven buck Walmart one. Everybody's going to have that. They want that $70 vase that's unique and you can't right. find it anywhere else, you know, and it's handcrafted right. and it's all that special extra detail. I think that's the thing is people have really come to the conclusion that that's, that, that's the, the cool thing is like the having that unique piece of artwork that you, you know somebody put time and effort into, you know, and really put it together right. well. Definitely. And that's definitely why I've found more, you know, I, I feel like every creator has to cut corners every now and then, but I've definitely found more satisfaction with reading an indie book as opposed to the same story about Spider-Man, you know, he's my favorite character. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to want to read. Yeah, Spider -Man I, I, I love me some Spider-Man. <laughs> how many times can I watch him lose Mary Jane? Like, dude, it, <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's part of the continuity, but how many times do we have to run in this circle before things can actually move forward? Right. Um, and, and it's more rewarding to be able to, Oh, impound comics was, I think like four issues in by the time that I actually heard about them, it was just mm -hmm. fun to find, be excited to like hunt down those issues and like, kind of just dive into a new universe that somebody just thought of, like he didn't have to do that, but he did it. And thankfully they lived close enough to where I live that <laughs> could partake in Comic-Con and actually, you know, show up at their store and bother them for a little bit. So uh, thankfully they were cool with that, but yeah, we did that too. Nice. I remember when I first met Brent um, when he was only on like a second book and we were at the Stockton Comic Con together and whatnot. And then like it was like him and his brother, I want to say, but I've never seen his brother ever again. I almost want to say that's who it was. And he was sitting there in the booth helping him out. And then I was, I was like, well, you're going to sign this, right? He's like, well, I didn't work on it. I'm like, damn it, you're going to sign it anyways. I don't care if you didn't work it. You're sitting here at the booth. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to yeah. forcefully make you, you never, sign this I mean, book. Like, obviously you're, you're like, Oh, you never know. Like if this, if these people are going to be famous, but at the end of the day, it's like sitting there and pitching somebody something that you don't even know if they're going to buy. It's much different than jobs. Like, you know, I've worked at retail stores and stuff like that. So that people normally come in going to buy something, but telling them your ideas and, and giving it to giving it to them that way is so much more nerve wracking like it's on the same level as when you're showing people a short film for the first time. It feels like they could just, you know, th from the look on their face, tear apart all the work that you've put in up until this moment. So it, it's horrifying. Like my creative partners have just taken that in stride, like didn't bat an eye when I asked them to help out at some of the events and stuff. So super grateful to them, but it's, getting that support from outside from outsiders like seeing the uh the ex about your ideas and your concepts to me that's the only motivation that i really need because other than like other than myself who's gonna read this shit is really what i think about yeah. like it, it's not entertaining if only i'm enjoying it so i i love to see and like you know creators and get that feedback and stuff but yeah man it's um there's only so much you can say at the same time uh, without giving things away. And I'm excited. I think, yeah, like 
15 or 14 pages left, I think. Maybe 16. I'm not too sure. Hey, well, it's one of those ones, you know, it, it, as long as it keeps going forward, you know, making progress every day, right. you know, it, it'll eventually get there and so on. That's how I feel like my latest Pizza Boys one. I think I looked at it today. I'm like, oh, I only got five more pages left to ink. I'm getting very close to the end of this part. So, you know, you, you eventually get there. You know, nice. it's amazing, you know, how much time and effort kind of goes into it. But, um, yeah, still trucking right. along and so, so how on. Do you, um, mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, like is uh, were you saying earlier that you're trying to get an issue out every is it three months that's what i would like i used to be able to kind of get them like that where uh like because if i got them out every three months i would have a graphic novel at the end of the year by that standard you know and i feel like that's mm. not too shabby for like a one person operation right there sometimes it's just like yeah i just you just with you know other projects and other things kind of going on you only have so much time in the day for so many things and sometimes i just you know you haven't been able to get as much kind of going so and then plus the other downfall too that i always have is that a lot of times i'll work real hard on doing the drawings and everything like that but then you just literally go radio silent as far as advertising goes and that's like almost another one too where it's like you know advertising such a job in itself that like you literally could easily hire somebody to do that and that would almost probably be more important than having somebody else come by and doing anything artistic you know what i mean because that (laughs) could take up so much more of the day than anything you know you can do and it's that weird one too that like you know, it's like you almost kind of wait. It's like, okay, I got a couple hours right now. Well, what am I going to do? You know, you're, and you feel like the most productive thing I guess I should be doing is drawing to get this thing farther ahead, you know, but then you also do right. need to get a little bit of that advertising going there. Or, you know, sometimes it happens. It's like, you know, you'll make some extra videos and things like that. And you're like, this is cool. And then you kind of realize you're like, that just ate up like two days I could have been drawing. That's all I think about sometimes is like <laughs> – Right, you know, it's it's like that one where it's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, but I'm I'm uh now, yeah, like you know, it's that weird thing there, and that's the thing that I feel like I would like to sort of have at some point is to sort of have a team kind of environment, like once again to work on projects like with other people, because it's been like kind of a while since I've really done that. Like it seems like almost like seven or eight years since the last time I worked on like animation or videos or anything like you know, really having a team, and. I feel with Pizza Boys, that would be kind of – or just comics in general, there would be something to be said about even just having one, if not two other people, help carry a little bit of the loads and, like, the different, like, you know, all the all the excess jobs yeah. and stuff like that, you know, because it does. Like, Literally, it does yeah, all the back-end work. Yeah, it, I mean, shit, it, like, I'm sure you know, like, run, it's running a website. You have to run – uh, be yeah. able to ship out orders. You have to figure out all that stuff. Oh, how much does your comic book weigh? Fuck, we need yeah. to make QR codes. Like, yeah, all those back end, like things that you don't even think about when you're fine. When you, when I open up the Pizza Boy thing, not the first thing I'm thinking about. I'm just reading a comic book, right? But all those things that go into that, into getting that book into somebody's hands, it's like Hall has to be thought of before beforehand. And and yeah, so when I talk about the comic book creating process. To me, that's like the stressful part where where I'm like, it, it's not even just making a comic book. It's it's like it's making a website and an Instagram and and you know a TikTok account and learning how to run all these things and then you know learning how to strategically roll out your content and promote your content. Started getting into like running Instagram ads 
which, you mm-hmm. know, it helps with exposure and stuff. But at this point, I don't even know if that does that translate to a sale. I'm not sure. So yeah, we're all just I, figuring I've, this stuff out. Yeah. There's so many of those things I experiment with too. And then you kind of feel like sometimes if someone sees an ad, do they, do they treat your stuff differently now? Do they go, oh, that's an advertisement? Screw this guy. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's so yeah. many of those things <laughs> that you always kind of wonder. And what do you want question. from me? Yeah, I says, well, just trying to get it out there, man. Like, I don't know what else to do. But yeah, when I was saying like, man, I just wish I could just be just the cinematographer on somebody's movie and I didn't have to do anything else. Like, you know, like, or I'll be a cinematographer and editor because I like editing a lot. And I feel those two kind of go hand in hand together anyways. You know, it feels like you might as well shoot it. And then you already know what all the scenes are already. When you go to edit it, you're halfway there you saying that though affirms my idea that you're you're probably you probably are a director because you have the you have a vision for something and you need to be through every step of the process in order to achieve that vision i feel like i'm the same way so you have to just learn all these like at least not different jobs and how to do them you have to at least learn the terminology or how the the artist you're going to be working with speaks in order to then accomplish that greater vision. And I feel like comic book creating is very much that way. And then, and then filmmaking is very much that way, but so different, so drastically different. Um, I would much rather describe a person, a panel than describe like a visual effect that I see in my mind without, without any kind of like, Oh, let me draw it or anything like that. So yeah, it's, (laughs) it's, um, I, I actually think that filmmaking, my filmmaking might be stronger after I finally finish up this comic book because of like learning how, how to better use the visual uh, medium and like, you know, tell, tell stories through shots. Um, so I can't wait to hop back into to filmmaking after this, but yeah, also don't want it to be a year until one sun issue two comes out. <laughs> Yeah, you don't you don't want it to take too long where people forget about you and so on. But it is kind of true though. Is like yeah, I think so many of those mediums cross back and forth because I always felt when I started making comics, I was like, well, here's the thing: I haven't been drawing nearly as long as everybody else, but mm-hmm. I have all this experience from filmmaking and acting and all this stuff that I know a lot of people who draw right. well don't have, so they don't know all these shots the same way and they don't know how to set things up and they don't know how to balance stories. So I felt like at least right. that was always in my corner. I at least had that kind of aspect, you know, is like one of those ones like I'll learn the drawing right. along the way, but you know, until then I have uh-huh. at least all the other things for setting up a story and putting it all together. So and, I th- and that's what it means. I think so much well, of that stuff crosses over. And once I feel like once you learn how to edit, um, whether it's photo editing or video editing, especially video editing to me though, like you just become a little bit of a magician. Like you're just capable mm-hmm. of that much more. Um, and you can re- you can trick people in some way that we figured out. Uh, and, and yeah, I feel like once you're able to apply that, like obviously with filmmaking, you're watching it. So as an audience member, you're just stuck and you, you have to watch it. But comic books, for instance, like putting something on a page where, and like having to think about it structurally, like I want the reader to flip the page. And then on this one is like the big reveal. And then on the right one, it's not as important, but like, you know, just those small things. I didn't realize that comic book creators were having to pay attention to what 
page is going on the left and what is going on the right. Um, and now I do. So I, I just feel like it's, it's all a learning process. I'm still obviously learning and stuff like that, but that's definitely why I, I just consider myself a student of both mediums forever. Yeah. I feel you, you will always continuously learn like that never goes away. The second that anybody says that they think they know it all, then they definitely have a lot right. more to learn. I feel, you know, definitely, definitely. And I never want to be that guy. I should think, I mean, I feel like you can learn from anything, whether it's a, a comic you hate or a movie you hate, like there's still lessons to learn from that uh, more so cautionary tale, but yeah, <laughs> nonetheless, well, it is too. I always say a lot of times too, you can have a movie that's not maybe a great movie, but it has that one scene in there that's actually pretty darn cool. <laughs> the rest of the movie is maybe not right. that great, but that one scene stands out, you know? And that, that's sometimes what I find right. in certain things is that like there'll be that little moment where it's like, oh, that's, that, that's pretty hip right there. Or there's something you don't see every day. You know, a lot of times for me, like when it comes to movies, like I get excited when I see something. I'm like, well, I've never seen that before in anything else. Like even if the rest of the stuff, right. maybe it's not the greatest movie or maybe not the greatest story, but you go that part right there never seen anybody else do that that's almost kind of cool in itself right right don't even give that credit uh, like I, i'm sure nobody goes into anything wanting to make something bad but mm -hmm. I, I yeah it's just um it's really up to fate at that point because i i was I was pretty old when I realized that 99% of films are pretty bad. And like, <laughs> I would say 80, almost, nah, nah, it's much lower than that. Maybe, maybe 20% of films are low key unwatchable. And then there's that 1% that is, you, you can't find any flaws in it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, like the, the hundred percent critically acclaimed films and stuff. Sure, you could probably, depending on your personal taste, say I I would have done this differently. But the general consensus is that they're perfect. That ninety nine percent of movies that are bad though have the best ideas in them or the more creative ideas in them. So it's just depending on what you want to watch that day. From Well, yeah. And, it, you know, for me, as like, I, I'm one of those ones, I think because I create stuff, I have a hard, like, I feel like I, I always like to try to go into stuff being as positive as possible for the most part. I'm not saying that every once in a while there's going to be something you just don't like. And, and that's okay. You, you know what I mean? Because I always feel like I think about like the process, the making of it, all that stuff. There's so much other elements that go mm -hmm. in there. And, you know, especially nowadays, too, you see so many people, it's easy to be negative. You know, you, you could talk about three hours about why you dislike a movie with a buddy. But try to talk for three hours about why you love a movie. That's really tough. A lot of times you'll get stumped in about 20 minutes. Right. Even if it's a really good movie, it's amazing how tough that is. And I felt like I wanted to make that sort of a challenge is like, how can I talk good? And what's the good parts of stuff? What is like, what are the cool things in there? You know what I mean? Forget about the rest of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, everybody makes right. mistakes and so on like that. Not everything can turn out well. But what is like still the takeaway stuff you can get from there and so on? And sometimes some movies too, like, they might not be done perfectly, right. but they have a great concept. The concept is amazing. Well, there you go. Take that and run with it. You know what I mean? Hey, right. they, they didn't, it didn't work out in their That's story. What I'm saying. The like, they... I feel like it's much more – sorry, I, I'm just saying, like, I feel like it's much more interesting when we're getting a weird viewpoint than when you're trying to 
I guess, generally please everybody or when everybody agrees on something and there's no real, like, there's no room for criticism. I feel like that's also just toxic. Like, what is this? You know, we should be able to critique things without it necessarily making the film bad. And and of course, bad and good is always going to be subjective. So I, I would much rather watch a movie where I feel like they, they had fun making it than a movie mm-hmm. where it's like, you... I don't know. I feel like this is Oscar Beatty in a way, or like, you know, you're just going for that kind of the, the prestige of making a quote unquote good film. And you're not trying to entertain me at all or, or show us anything new or be creative in any sense. Um, I feel like, you know, some movies are pretty flat that way, but in terms of what I personally prefer, it's, uh, I don't know. I'll watch anything personally. Yeah, no, it's one of those ones like, you know, like I, I can enjoy so many different things and, you know, whatnot. And a lot of times it's the things that's like, yeah, a lot of times like those Oscar type movies are most of the movies I don't care a whole lot for. Some extra movie that, you sure. know, maybe did, did straight to DVD or something like that. That might be the one that I go to. This one's the serious stuff right here. It's never going right. to get recognition, but man, right. is it cool, you know? I mean, I feel like we can both agree too that a lot of trailers do not do the films a service especially when we get into oscar Beatty season because mm-hmm. a lot of those trailers just end up feeling the same or cut the same um and you can almost tell what is going to happen in the film uh lately we've been getting some surprises thankfully but uh it, it's yeah you can normally tell you can normally tell for me from the marketing um i'm gonna give you a really good example i don't know if you've seen it but black Adam, I feel like you could tell what that movie was going to be like from the marketing. Um, Mm -hmm. And studios aren't necessarily even trying to hide it anymore. It's just, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, Here's the new rock movie. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, that's like sort of when some movies, like they'll like give away all three acts inside their movie. Like the the Flash had that issue and Batman v Superman was like the, that was, that was a bad year because I remember like, I like Batman v Superman. I'm not saying that's not, I'm not saying that's bad, but the trailers, though, because the other one that was really bad was Terminator 5. They gave away that right. John Connor was going to turn to a villain in the trailer. No, you save that for the movie. Like, don't you don't say that in the trailer. You don't Doomsday in the trailer. You don't put yeah. Glenn's life in there in the trailer. What are you, stupid? Like, come on. At least, like, I definitely feel the same way. Tease the first two acts. Tease the... Give us the first act, but the second act everything past um you know joseph campbell's uh lowest point everything past that do not put it in the trailer because i'm gonna get to the end like i i remember batman versus superman and discourse around that being more so is he gonna die I'm not gonna die as i feel like the discourse should have been batman gonna win or is superman gonna win um, and it's because they gave up Doomsday in the f- fucking Comic Con trailer, dude. Like, come on, come on, guys. Yeah. That that's the thing is like, like the, the best thing you could. It's like you don't Batman versus Superman. Don't even just say that. People are gonna show up. They don't need to see any of that right. movie. Save that movie. You, you it, it sells itself. It's not like you got some weird indie movie that you need to kind of get people to like engage to get them in there. It's like no. You got right. something big, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes, like, certain trailers, it's just like, dude, what are you guys doing? Like, 
you know like make it a mystery or like that's why i love like old trailers you watch like trailers from like the 50s and the 60s i just don't even know what like i just watched this movie i watched the trailer and i don't know what the heck's going on in it because they're just like they literally just like hard cut scenes together (laughs) (laughs) but i like that though i think that's the way to go like make it sort of weird and confusing they're either going for a tone express the watch it i guess opposed to here let's tell everybody into the film um and yeah everybody's guilty of that i feel like uh across hollywood but some of the worst ones in my opinion come from sony um (laughs) also um enough yeah and um Oh, what was that? What was that other franchise that they started? I think it was Universal that they tried to do the the monster franchise. See, and I I liked where they're going. I was like, I was like, okay, cool. I liked the Tom Cruise mummy. It was good enough. I, I was like, I want to see where this goes. I bet you it's going to lead somewhere cool. No, they they gave up on that because Dracula Untold was cool too. It- Right, right. Like, not. Yeah, I actually agree that that one was a. Uh, to me, it was way more interesting. Than, um, what's it called? There's another Dracula thing that I had seen that was super boring. But I, I'm kind of a fan of Dracula, so I'll check. I'll check out anything Dracula related. But I feel like. One BBC Dracula. BBC. Hello. BBC yeah, uh, BBC made like a Dracula series and it was pretty freaking good. Um, I think it's on Netflix right now, actually. Was that the way it was done in like four episodes or something like that? Yeah, I think so. It was, yeah, it was pretty short. But the guy that played Dracula on that, I don't know why I like as a character, but yeah, I will always check him out. Yeah, no, I, I I dig all kinds of things. Dracula, anyways. I'm a big Castlevania fan. I love Van Helsing a lot. That movie as well, and any of the old Dracula movies as yes, well too. Yes, Dracula or Van Helsing was one of my favorites growing up too. Like that, and uh, the first Ghost Rider would be my Halloween double feature every year. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, I, I love Van Helsing. I don't care. Like, people, like, they always say, like, oh, that movie's kind of dumb. And, like, it's like, dude, I think that movie's amazing. It's like, it literally is like a Castlevania movie that combined all the cool, like, you know, uh, Universal monsters together in one right, film. Right. Like, it's action-packed. It's got, like, 007 vibes in it as well, too. Like, it was, like, everything I could right. want in the movie. <laughs> I just wish there was more of them. It's just, the it was mo- too cool. Same. And, like, what he turns into the werewolf is just... Uh-huh. Come on, come on! It's like, and it's like the the dopest transition ever because he's tearing his skin off and stuff. Come on, they haven't done anything like that since. No, and I remember the people too. Like they're like the CG doesn't look like I'm like dude at that time period. No CG really looked that great. Is by actually, I don't think it looks right. bad in that one. But like that was just the era where you, like nope. you. I mean, you you still could kind of tell this day and age. You're like, up oh, that's CG. That's not CG. You know. Right. There's there's some like I'll say like the the hide thing at the beginning there's some moments that look fake but i actually think a lot of the stuff they do with dracula and like and his brides in that movie mm-hmm. are still terrifying and they really hold up like some of his uh transitions like one form are just really really good 
Yeah, no, there, there's just so much cool stuff in that movie. And it's just fun. Like, it's just a good story, good, like, ride, great characters. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's weird what some people, like, you know, almost go like, oh, we, we don't like this, but we like this thing over here. And you're like, okay, sure. Yeah. Like, maybe maybe we should look at the whole experience as a whole. I mean, personally, I'm not a fan of the people who really do things like i don't know like a critic rotten tomatoes to judge if they're going to enjoy the sometimes you can the theater the the movie has 30 percent on rotten tomatoes but you just have the best time because you knew nothing about it and it struck all the right chords like i'd much rather uh i, I kind of miss you know not being super high where Honestly, like Instagram will fit in your face because everybody's reposting about it or that's how they used to promote. Do, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember when the Justice League cut of Justice League came out? The Justice like League? The original 2017. That, that's what some people call it. Like the, the Joss Whedon cut of <laughs> Justice League. So yeah, when that it's came out, a, this was, I, I, I like that version too. Time. This is the first time I'd ever seen the site do this though they were promoting the day before the movie came out uh rotten tomatoes themselves were like what is the score gonna be? and i don't know if you remember but there was this big thing, like where the fandoms between marvel and dc turning rotten tomato scores from marvel films to dc films and so they like yeah they promoted what will justice league's uh rotten tomato score be Unfortunately, it was rotten for a cut of the film. Um, but it was like, to me, that was a, it was a little bit of like a culture shift because now I really started to see um, people using Rotten Tomato scores to like promote their films, um, especially like the, the actual marketing teams of different movies. Just something I find interesting. Like, do, do, do a lot of people even know how we arrive if a movie is rotten or fresh? Um, cause I didn't know until recently, literally it's not as simple as it sounds like, like, they, like the scores are not tallied up and then averaged out. It's more like how many people voted it rotten versus how many people voted it fresh and then averaged out. So you're not getting an accurate score for that film. Mm. If that makes sense. Um, but right, like just those those weird things that I think, um, you know, it's almost caused tribalism amongst nerds. Like <laughs> we just hate each other for like your movie sucks and our movie is better. <laughs> Boycott the Flash. Like that's just yeah, how we are, I guess. Silly stuff like that. It's like it's, it's like Rotten Tomatoes one of those ones. I don't even like Rotten Tomatoes because in the term itself, it's already negative. Rotten Tomatoes is if that's your title is already telling me that you have a <laughs> negative connotation on what you're looking at. And as I said, right. like it's just, it sounds weird, but it's like I, you know what? I want to go into everything with this positive kind of vibe. Like if negativity is what you're using to promote stuff, it's like nah, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. I, it's like you, you obviously are going into it with like a you know a you know a bad mindset, and of course things are going to come out worse right. if you think that way, you know. So. Yeah, mostly it's like Definitely. critics and all that stuff. As I said, I, I know like I talk movies and I guess by that standard, you, you're kind of rating them and so on. But it's like a lot of times I'm very iffy about critics. I'd rather hear from the people. That's how I've always felt like, you know what I mean? Like 
the, the uh, you know a per, you, exactly. you ask a couple people on the street about a movie that mostly will give you a much better like you know observation of what a film is than somebody who's a so-called right. critic who let's be honest has also never even worked on a movie or anything like that you know there's all those kind of factors that go in <laughs> you <there>. say that <laughs> right you I know, don't, so, yeah exactly and and i feel like they don't even um I don't know. I feel like a lot of critics are not vetted. So some of them go into it with their own, whatever uh, agenda it is, you know, whether it's review bombing, we see a lot of that too in the modern day um, or just not, you know, if they don't like the director or they don't like the, the actors in it or something, you may see them come up with a negative score, which is like, first of all, if I could ever be a critic and that could be my job, I would definitely want to do that because it, it has to be super fun to get paid to just like express your opinion. I'm sure it's an awesome job, but at yeah. the same time, how, how, like, how are we paying these people? Like, why, why is, why is it a job at the end of the day? It feels um, almost like it, 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 you can run into like gatekeeping at a certain extent because then, you know, certain things are not allowed to be judged because they're not. <laughs> so it's just weird. Um, and I think it does create this unneeded uh, rivalry between people um, when they're com- constantly being compared by other people within their same medium, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, it's like that one that, you know. Whether they're creatives or, yeah. You Sorry. know, and you could always you could just go to like the amazon.com and look at like the, you know, the reviews right there of the user reviews. And that most of the times will give you a better like idea about stuff anyways. Cause you're like, here's like, you know, even if you just read about six reviews, you're like, okay, that tells me all I need to sort of know about a movie. And you're kind of getting people that like legitimately enjoy it. Yeah. You'll get some people that, you know, aren't making any sense whatsoever. But for the most part, I feel like here, here's the fans right here, you know, of anything. Right. Right. But I think I also think it's interesting uh, almost to like study things or my way of kind of studying it is like what's what's popular now and then what happens in the pop culture timeline that makes that trend not popular anymore. Right now, I really like multiverse, we're multiverse thing. And then like everybody is kind of trying to get their hand at that. But how far does that go until that subgenre breaks? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we see trends like that throughout, whether it's action films or horror. Just watching out for those things. Um, I, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, and then as a creative, right, I, I try to use that as a gauge on, okay, if I were to do a multiverse movie, say, what would people like and what would people not like? Um, mm-hmm. But then still at the end of the day, all art is super experimental. We're just figure this out. So you never really know what ideas are going to work and what's not. But personally, that's just like why I pay attention to movie trends or, or storytelling trends in any sort of way. It's just like there's a reason why people like this. Right. But why? And maybe do I have anything to add on top or, you know, anything to say about that? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's always more of anything. It's always interesting to look at that kind of stuff and see where it sort of takes you and all that good stuff there. And, you know, whether you use it or don't use it, it does give you at least an idea of different paths and different journeys you can kind of take in your own stories. Mm-hmm. Whatever, the, what, what, what have people done and what have people not done? You know, I think it's just, it all, 
like we were talking about at the beginning, it helps feed that creative mindset that we're trying to honestly like upkeep. Like I feel like we're always in I work mode, but how often do I have the the ideas to actually put pen to paper or you know finish that outline or whatever it is? Yeah, there's so much of that stuff. But um, well, Blaze, I think it's about time we kind of start wrapping up. It's getting a little bit late here, and well, not that late, but just Should a little think. bit, and so on. But uh, one sun as it's coming out, where can everybody find all your good information when they want to check that book out? When they want to, you know, you get a it. hold of like the preview copy and all that good stuff. Sure, sure. Well, um, so right now I am thinking of selling uh like that little book that you had showed um earlier i'm going to have the the last copies that we have um as part of a kickstarter reward to hit a certain tier in order to get the last of those i have 20 available of that blue cover and then everything after that is going to be printed with the secondary printing so the one that you have right now scott is one out of 50 and that is all and then after that they're going to be a little bit different from there. Um, so keep on, keep on the lookout for our Kickstarter that should be launching later on, um, later on in the year. Once we finish up the art for our first issue, we're just going to be doing a Kickstarter as a way for people to pre-order our first issue. Um, and all the funds that we make from that Kickstarter, as well as getting the art started on our second issue. So we're trying to be very uh, economical and not, you know, run a bunch of Kickstarters in one year. We don't want to have to keep asking people to keep hitting those goals and whatnot. And, you know, just, just be smart about the the things that we're asking for. Um, so you can go ahead and follow us at once on Um, and myself at Hokoa. Um, works. Uh, but yeah, other than that, man, I just want to say thank you for having me on. This was my first podcast. So I want to apologize if I was, you know, jittery or a little awkward at times, but yeah, man, I really appreciate it. And, and I will be finishing up my pizza voice issues as soon as possible. I actually just got back from Diego. So yeah, going to hop on that as soon as possible. Well, cool, cool, Blaze. Well, yeah, nothing but good times, you know, having fun. Podcasting is its always a good way just to really kind of get into an in-depth conversation, talk about all the things, you know, whether you're into and all the creative stuff that equals out for itself. And, yeah, as I said, we will have to do this again later down the line, and we can always talk more comics, more movies, all that stuff. That's several things I really enjoy, so I'm always down for that. Sure, sure. Sounds good, man. Thank you. But yeah, till then, you can always go to oldmanorange.com where you'll find Pizza Boys comics, Old Man Orange podcasts, and via VHS, old animations, videos, all that fun stuff. Till then, I'm Spencer Scott Holmes with special guest. Blaze Homokoa. And we'll see you some other time. Thank you, man. Have a good one.